Welcome to Sundays at Grace, the podcast ministry of Robinson Grace Church in Grand Haven, Michigan. I'm Pastor Bill. I am so glad you have joined us for this week's message, a message I simply have entitled Humble Hearted. And we're going to talk today about our relationships. I think we all want to have stronger and healthier relationships. Well, we're going to see today that that is actually possible. In this series, it's week five of this series, A Spiritual EKG, we're looking at the condition of our heart and the reality, it's a radical idea really, uh, that when we are saved, when we become new creations in Christ, we actually get new creation hearts, hearts that actually beat with God's desires. And catch this, this might blow you away, but you can actually trust your heart if you are a new creation in Christ, you have a new creation heart. Hey, if you would love to download handouts to go with this message or any of the other messages on the uh, podcast, or if you would love to support us financially, we'd appreciate that. You can do all that online at myrgc.com. And I thank you in advance. Hey, I ran across a fascinating story though. Nick Walenda, he's a highwire artist. He's an American follower of Christ as well. He has walked across the Grand Canyon. He has walked across, actually tightroped across Niagara Falls. He's been seen by a billion people. And uh, he has a very interesting spiritual discipline that when the crowds all leave an event and the media all leaves, Nick goes out and actually picks up the trash where the people actually were standing. And uh, here's what he wrote about that. My purpose, he says, is simply to help clean up after myself huge crowd left a great deal of trash behind and I feel compelled to pitch in. Besides, after the inordinate amount of attention I sought and received, I need to keep myself grounded. Three hours of cleaning up debris is good for my soul. He goes on to say that if I don't serve others, I'll be serving nothing but my own ego. What I love about Nick's story is I love the deliberateness, I love the intentionality to say, I am going to practice humility in my life. And you know, the reality is we'll see it in today's message that because we have these new creation hearts, God has equipped us with the ability to go out and serve with a very uh, authentic humility. And it can indeed transform our relationship. So let's get right to the message, humble hearted. I want us to think about our relationships. Let's just think about our relationships. You know, we all want to have great and healthy relationships, right? And yet the reality is, many times, underneath the, behind the smile, behind the masks, you know, it's like we have relationships that aren't everything we wish they were. Sometimes we lament about it in private. Sometimes we fight about it in public. We want a better relationship with certain people. Well, this morning, I want to think about that reality of our relationships. And I want us to, to take our new creation heart we've been talking about in this series into our relationships. And I want us to understand that our new creation heart, that it is capable of producing and nurturing incredibly healthy relationships. And we're going to see that today, that if you want to build better relationships, well, you need to start with this new creation heart you've been given. Let's start with a personal question if we can, though. And and we can all answer this. You can answer this question, yes or no, or you can, um, uh, well, well, selfish ambition. Let me start with this. Are my relationships healthy? So I just asked you that, and that's the question. We want to kind of think about that. But here's the second question this morning. Um, 
when we think about this issue of selfish, am I a selfish person? And so you might want to answer that yes or no. If you have your handouts, you see there's a space you can give yourself a two or a four or an eight. You know, am I a selfish person? That's the question. And uh, we'll just start there. You don't have to ask your neighbor to answer it for you. You don't have to share your answer with anybody. That's just between you and yourself and the Holy Spirit. Do you think you are a selfish person? The, the key verse here, Philippians 2, 3, will be in Philippians 2 in a few minutes. But it says this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. So there's immediately this contrast in this verse between humility and between selfish ambition. And uh, how you deal with that contrast will really impact the status of your relationships and how healthy and how strong and how positive they are. So we're in this series, a spiritual EKG, right? And we're talking in this, in, this, in this series about the fact that when we were saved, we got a new creation heart that actually beats with God's desire. So I want to take you to a different passage today. And let's read this passage and see how it fits into this new creation heart. And um, because it might say, well, I don't know if that agrees with what you're talking about. So here's what it says, Jesus in Matthew 15, uh, then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, the religious leaders, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders, for they do not wash their hands when they eat? So immediately, the religious leaders have a problem with Jesus' disciples because they're not washing their hands. Now, they're not necessarily violating God's law, but they're violating the addition to the law, the addendum to the law that the religious leaders put on, and, and they have their own kind of uh, add-ons, and so they call them the traditions of the elders. And that's the question. Down in verse 10, Jesus gives a little teaching to all the people to kind of answer this, this question. And he called the people to him and said to them, hear and understand, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person. Eating a piece of toast with dirty hands won't defile you, but what comes out of the mouth, that defiles a person. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you still, uh, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person? And what is it? For, for out of the heart come evil thoughts and murder and adultery and sexual immorality and theft and false witness and slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands, that does not defile a person. Now, you'd read that at first glance, and if you don't do good Bible study, and you don't really dig in and get some application, you'll think, well, hey, wait a minute. Now, that says out of my heart comes a lot of wicked stuff. You're saying I got a new creation heart that I can trust. How does this fit in? Well, I'll, I'll explain it to you. Who's he writing to? He's writing to these, really, in context he's writing about these in response to these religious leaders who don't love God, who have no relationship with God, no desire for God. And so he writes to them, and he's dealing with an issue. Here's the, here's the problem. Here's what the religious leaders are saying about Jesus' disciples. They're saying, well, hey, your disciples have a behavior problem. They're not washing their hands. They have a behavior problem. We don't like their behavior. It doesn't agree with our traditions. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, uh, time out, mankind does not have a behavior problem. Mankind has a heart problem. And out of the heart comes all this wickedness and evilness. And if you don't have a relationship with Christ, and if you don't have a new creation heart, yes, out of your heart flows all of these wicked and evil thoughts and desires and behaviors. They all come out of our heart. But see, he's not writing to you and I 
who have new creation hearts. See, this is what Christ came to do. See, we don't need behavior modification. We need Christ. That's the whole point of the Bible. We don't just need to be better people. And I'm going to tell you in your relationships, if you think, well, I can, I can help my relationships by just improving my behaviors, I ain't going to cut it. You want to really improve your relationships and have powerful and healthy relationships that can withstand anything? You need Christ. And you need a new creation heart that is a humble heart. And we're going to see that this morning. Now, what I did, I did this... Uh, uh, when I started this series, I did this. I went through every reference in the New Testament that had the word heart in it. And I just read through them. And what I did this week was I went through and I started in the book of Acts after the cross, read every reference to the word heart. I think I got them all. There's a lot of them. There's like 120 or so from Acts on. And I read them all. Now, I discounted some. Some are like, you know, well, be, you know, uh, you, you know don't be faint of heart or he encouraged my heart, or something like that. I didn't count those, but the ones that kind of talked about the status and the character and the nature of our heart. I wrote them down, and I put them all into two columns. One was the unbeliever's heart, the corrupted heart. One was the believer's heart, the new creation heart. But, but I put them under these two columns in, in any verse. And so just to see, you know, how does this play out throughout the entire New Testament? Fascinating. Here's the unbeliever's heart. Here's all the references I ran across. The unbeliever's heart, the person that's not saved, has a hard heart. Uh, their heart is full of hardness. They were cut to the heart. They were uncircumcised in the heart. Their heart was not right before God. Their heart was grown dull. Their heart was foolish and unbelieving, uh, full of lusts and selfish. Uh, it was uh, full of selfish ambition. Uh, they're told to purify your hearts. They had greedy hearts. God knows the hidden thoughts and intentions of their hearts, Satan filled their hearts. Their hearts were disobedient. Uh, the secrets of their hearts were disclosed. There was a veil over their hearts. When it talked about really an unbeliever, someone that didn't have a relationship with Christ, that's how it described their hearts. Now listen to what it says about you and I if we have a new creation heart. It says our hearts are generous and genuine. The believers were of one heart. They had an open heart, a wide open heart in another place. God's love is poured into our heart. We have an obedient heart. We have a spiritual anguish for the lost. Uh, Paul did. Uh, there was an earnest spiritual care for believers. Timothy had that. Salvation is a decision of the heart. The Holy Spirit lives in our heart. God shone his light in our heart. Paul prayed for the enlightenment in our heart. Doing the will of God from the heart. Let your adorning, I love this one from Peter, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart. Let people know you by what's in your heart. Isn't that just wild? Christ dwells in our heart. We have a sincere heart. Peace will guard our heart. Peace will rule our hearts. We have compassionate hearts. Hearts knit together with, with other believers. Thankful hearts. We're, we're told to work heartily. We have pure hearts and true hearts and tender hearts. God will write his law on our heart. Our heart's been cleansed. and We're told to give according to our heart. I just thought that was so cool to read through that. And that's the point of this series, that when you are saved, you get a brand new heart. And so all that stuff that Jesus just said about the heart, out of the heart comes all this wickedness and evil. And yeah, if you're not saved, yes, you have a heart problem. And when you're saved, you get a new creation. I'll show you another verse by Jesus towards the end of the message that will just be so amazing, blow you away. So we need these new creation hearts then. And so I go back to this question Okay, we don't need behavior modification, we need Christ. We go back to this question, am I selfish? Well, I'm going to shock you all this morning and just tell you that if you're in Christ, you do not have 
a selfish heart. You're not selfish even though sometimes you act like you are. And that's the point. Our behaviors don't come out of our heart. We are a new creation in Christ. We have a brand new nature. The old man is dead. So our brain is hardwired sometimes though and we think we want to be selfish and we think we want to put ourselves first. Here's the big idea today for this message. Our new creation hearts are humble hearts capable of producing and nurturing incredible relationships. You see, if you want to improve, uh, if we want to improve our relationships, we don't need behavior modification. We need the humility of Christ. And what the humility of Christ do? It took him all the way to the cross. And we all have a relationship today in this room with Christ because what? Because he humbled himself at the cross. Philippians chapter 2. How to live humble-hearted. We're going to go through 18 verses here. How to put our humble heart into practice. We start in verse 5 though. Let's start down in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father how do we have a how do, how do we how do we live with this humble heart that we've been, we've been given? Two simple things we're going to see today. Number one, think like Christ. Think like Christ. And we start there in that verse 5, and he says, Have this mind, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Again, the problem is not here. It's not who we are. The problem is up here. It's how we think. I love Romans 12, 3. I say to everyone, Paul said, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. And we shouldn't because, well, we know what kind of heart we have. We're, we're humble-hearted. We want to live that way. One thing that might help us is to differentiate between the brain and the mind. There is a difference between your brain and your mind. And so we need to understand that reality. Here's what it says. Again, I think, um, did I put it on here? Yeah, Philippians 2.5, watch this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours. In Christ Jesus. Know what he said about the mind of Christ there. You have the mind of Christ. You didn't just get a new creation heart. He gave you the mind of Christ. He gave you a new creation mind. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. The, the, the problem is, is that I've got a new mind and an old brain. And I've got an old brain that's hardwired and full of all those old uh, hurts and, uh, and habits and hang-ups and all those things that it's hardwired certain ways. And so I just have these, these habits that I'm used to doing things and I look out for myself first and I think that's what I want. That's not what I really want. The, the reality is, so often, you, you have to know, that I, I'm just going through this series, it's just been so eye-opening to me to realize all the times that I think I want something, I, I didn't really want that. It's not what I really wanted. I'm not happy with that. But in my brain, I am, I'm hardwired to think, yeah, yeah, I want to, I want to pass that gospel on. Yeah, I want to get that revenge. Yeah, I want to. You know, it's our, it's our old brain that sometimes says, you know what, that old, that old shirt you used to wear, you know, we have these new creation clothes and the, and the mind says, yeah, the old brain says, hey, man, that, that old shirt looks really good on you. You should wear it. We put it on and our new mind says, you look like a fool. Get that shirt off. I don't fit you anymore. 
We have new creation clothes. And so do we listen to our old brain or do we listen to the new mind of Christ? To think with the mind of Christ means to think according to who I am and not who I used to be. So a couple of ways we can think with the mind of Christ. Number one is to think like a body, not like an individual. And that will really cut against the grain of society. But you could say in there, think like a church, if you want to use the word church. If you want to make it more personal and take it home, you could say, think like a family, not like an individual. Meaning life is not always all about me. Life is about us. And again, we're hard words sometimes to think about us before we think about everybody else. But the reality is we want to think about everybody else. When you think about Christ, Christ went to the cross and died for who? He died for you and he died for me, right, as individuals? But the Bible also says he died for the church. Christ died for the collective. He died for the entire body. We need to think like a body, not just like an individual. Back to our text there in backing up to verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being, full of the, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So there's our, our, our brain against hardwired. But here's what the mind of Christ does. It thinks with our new creation heart and not our old hardwired brain. How cool is that? It sees itself as a part of the body. And how radical would this be to our relationships if we just started seeing ourselves not as only an individual where everything was about me, but it's really all about us as a family or as a body, the decisions I make. I stay home from church because I'm tired and the body misses out. I don't feed myself spiritually and renew my mind and the body misses out. I don't find a ministry and serve in the church and the body misses out. We affect the body. And I'm going to contend again and stress that at the very, very cellular level of our new creation heart, this is our desire to think of the body. Now we still have our old brain. We have memories of people who have hurt us. We have memories of people who have taken advantage of us. We hear the voices of this world and the flesh that tell us to look out for ourselves. And so that's the problem. How about this exchange in Matthew 16, one time Jesus had with Peter. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. He was thinking about the body. What did Peter say? And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> you are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Some of us need to kind of talk to those voices in our head and say, hey, sorry, get behind me, Satan. My life is not just about me. My life is about the body. And there's more joy and there's more fulfillment when I live for the body. There just is. So there's two things in, this, in these first four verses that we can do. Complete my joy. To think like a body, complete my joy, Paul says, we can bring each other joy. They, actually, if they lived the way they were supposed to live, if they lived in harmony, if they lived for the body, that would bring Paul joy. Paul would find joy in their, in, in their choices and in their decisions and in their behavior and the way they lived their life. 
You know, people come up to me sometimes and say, boy, thanks for that sermon today. That really spoke to me, blank, blank, blank. That brings me joy. It does. Brings me joy. And that's the reality. We can bring each other joy. We also, look at this one, count others more significant. We can help each other find significance. And we're all looking for significance, right? It's one of the greatest desires that we want to find significance. And God has designed it so when we work together and we think of the body, that we help each other find significant. When someone comes up and they're talking to us and they're sharing something with us, we listen. We listen intently. Why? Because what they're saying is important to them, so it's important to us. We value what they're saying. We value what they want to share with us. We honor them. And we realize, you know what? Sometimes God speaks to us through other people. And so sometimes maybe God is saying something to me through that person. And I need to listen closely and honor what they say. The reality is there is more joy when we put others first and help them find their significance. You know, think about this. Think about the church. How are we saved as individuals, right? No one else can make a decision for anybody else in this room. If you're saved, if, you have a, if you're in Adam and you're alive in Christ and going to heaven someday, that's a one-on-one decision between you and God. But you know what God did? Didn't have to do it. God said, when I save everybody, I'm going to put them all in a church. Yeah, I'm going to put them all in a church and they're going to fight over the color of the carpet on the floor. Or they're going to, you know, they're going to fight over, you know, whatever because we're humans and that's what churches, you know what? But he puts us all in a body. Why? Well, that's just the way he was going to help grow us and help us mature us in Christ. The reality is we could say this, God made our salvation personal, whereas he made our growth corporate. And I will not reach my potential in Christ. I will not be all that I can be in Christ. I will not fully develop this new creation heart. And I will not know humility. And I will not know the kind of relationships I really want to know if I'm disconnected from the body. God has designed it that we would grow corporately together. We just know that. It's in this needing that we are humbled. We are humbled by needing each other. I think about Peter in the upper room, right? Jesus comes around. He's going to wash Peter's feet. And Peter's like, yeah, you're washing my feet. You're too great for that, Jesus. You're too important to wash my feet. Now, who needed to really be humbled in that moment was Peter needed to be humbled. Lord, you can, you can wash my feet. And Peter was humbled. And we're humbled as we serve and as we are served. So think like Christ, and that starts with thinking like a body and not as an individual. And thinking like Christ also, note this, and we talk about this all the time here, but it's simply knowing who you are in Christ. What do I I mean by that? Well, I mean that Jesus knew who he was as Christ. Jesus knew who he was as Christ, and we need to know who we are in Christ. And Jesus, when he, when he was on the earth, he knew, he discovered, he, he, he studied the scriptures, he learned, hey, I'm the Messiah. Hey, I have to go to the cross and I have to die one day. And he knew who he was as Christ. We need to know who we are in Christ. And let me just tell you today, we need to know that what God has called us to be is not contrary to who we are. And I see a lot of teaching today in the church that just blows me away because it's like, well, God wants you to be this. God wants you to be this, but that's not who you are. You actually have a really wicked, evil, deceitful heart and you can't trust it. And, and, and the person you are fights against who God has called you to be. That's not the way it works. Who we are called to be is not contrary to who we are. We are a new creation in Christ. Our old man has passed away. We want 
what God wants. It's that simple. My new creation heart simply aligns with his plan and his will for my life. So know who you are in Christ, and like Jesus, know you're under the Father's authority. Jesus repeatedly says this throughout the scriptures, that he was under the Father's authority, and so are you and I. Just know that you're under the Father's authority. It will help you live a humble life. Again, here's, here's the end. Our new creation hearts, our humble hearts, capable of producing and nurturing incredible relationships. Just know that. Inside of your heart, you can have amazing relationships. You can have amazing relationships. You have to trust your heart. And it starts by thinking like Christ. Humble-hearted is when we think like Christ. Here's the second thing this morning. We go to verse 8, from verse 5 to verse 8. And it's trusting our obedient heart. Here's what it says in, uh, oh, I don't have it on the screen. Philippians 2.8, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus, in humble obedience, went to the cross and to live a humble-hearted life really is to trust your obedient heart. Trust our obedient heart, which is the heart of the series, that we have hearts that want to obey God. Here again in Romans 6, here it is. But thanks be to God that you who were, who were once slaves of sin, we were slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and have been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. Note how that's worded there. We have become obedient from the heart. Have become obedient. That's not a behavior. It's not saying, thanks to God, sometimes you are obedient from the heart. That's saying you have become, past tense, when you were saved, obedient from the heart, and it is past tense. It happened in the past, and once you come to Christ, you have a new creation heart that is obedient. That simply means you want to obey. Just like Jesus wanted to go to the cross, we want to obey. We know that Jesus, we know Jesus went to the cross. Hebrews 12, 2 tells us that there was joy on the other side of his obedience and his ultimate desire was to go to the cross. Sometimes in life we need to simply stop and ask, Lord, I'm confused right now. I'm not sure what you want. What's your will for my life? What do you want? We just need to stop and we need to ask God, what is your will? What do you want for me? Because that's when we'll be happiest, when we're doing the will of God. We fight the will of God, we won't be happy. Now, let me just say this though, that does not mean that we will never struggle with God's will. We can struggle to do God's will and want to do it at the exact same time. Did you know that? And I couldn't get into this last week, and I'll just touch on it this morning, but we were in, 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 in the garden last week with Jesus, and he was praying. And, and here is what it says in Matthew 26, verse 39, and going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And Jesus was struggling with the will of God. He was struggling as the light of the world about to be consumed in darkness. He was struggling with God's will, but still wanted to do it. And that is your reality and mine. Those, both of those can be true. You know what I find so, uh, so amazing about this or so insightful, maybe that's the word, it's that Jesus here is praying for something I think he already knows the answer to. I think he knows there's no other way, but he's praying, Lord, if there's any other way, and in the back of his mind, he's like, you know there's no other way. This is the only way. This is the plan of redemption. And sometimes we're like that. We can pray. And we know the, we pray. We pray until we get strength and we get confidence and we get courage. 
to shut off the voices of our old hardwired brain and just, and just trust the desires of our heart, which want what God wants. So I find that so insightful. I want you to take your hand a minute, put your hand over your heart. Put your hand over your heart for just a minute. I want you to think about the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and He is right here. Just say, God is right here. He's right here. He's in all of us. The fullness of the Godhead bodily is in Jesus. Jesus Christ lives in me now, right here. Now, think about that a moment, seriously. The creator of all creation, the redeemer of all that is lost, which is why in part we have a new creation heart, right? Because Christ lives here. This has to be spotless. This has to be clean. Somebody this week said, I heard it, somebody said, we're a walking holy of holies. Christ lives, this has to be pure and clean because this is where Christ lives. So, so think about that reality a minute. God lives here. The fullness of God lives here. The thing is, when we are humbly obedient, we unleash and unlock everything that Christ is, the fullness of Christ in me. It's simply when I am humbly obedient. And, 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 and when we listen to the, the voice of God and the Holy Spirit as He speaks to us, when we're humbly obedient from our obedient heart, we unleash the fullness of God. You want to radically transform your relationships? Just pour a little more Jesus into your relationships. Just pour a little bit more of Jesus into your troubled relationships and be blown away. I find it fascinating here. The passage says he humbled himself by becoming obedient. He humbled himself by becoming obedient. His humility became before his obedience. How did he express his humility? Through his obedience. Why is this important? Well, note what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, oh, I didn't put it. He doesn't say this. He was obedient by becoming humble. You know why it doesn't say he was obedient by becoming humble? Because he didn't become humble. He was humble. The Bible says he learned obedience. He never had to probably be obedient until he came to earth as a little baby and had to be under the uh, father's authority and, and had to, you know, he learned obedience through the gospel. He was humble. He humbled himself by becoming obedient. He, he, in other words, expressed his humility that was already a part of him through his obedience and the humility of his heart. And the reality is, you and I, we have these humble hearts. And when I am humbly obedient, just like Christ, I unleash all the fullness of God in my life and in my relationships. It's an amazing thing. Our new creation hearts, our humble hearts, capable of producing and nurturing incredible relationships. So what Paul does is Paul gives us three illustrations then. Three illustrations then of what this looks like, this humble obedience, what it looks like. Here's the, the first illustration. We'll start in chapter, or verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not as only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. We live out our salvation. That's the first illustration. We live out our salvation. This is not a new verse for us here. We have talked about this verse a lot. The gospel that saves us is something that we can live out every day. Paul says, work out your salvation. Here's the reality. God has given us two things. We know it for sure, right? An identity in Christ, and he's given us this new creation heart that has the desires of Christ. So what am I living out? What am I working out? The desires of God and the identity of Christ. And I live them out. I work them out of my life. We need to work out, we say it all the time, we need to work out what God has worked in. Now look at this from the vantage point of Jesus. 
would be accurate to say that Jesus lived out the gospel, that Jesus worked out salvation. He did. But think of it in this context. Think about this. Jesus is God worked out in the flesh. Isn't that cool? Jesus on earth is God, the God of the universe, worked out in human flesh so that we could all relate to him and understand him. What God did was took a human body born of a virgin, so it had no sin nature, and he took this human body, and then, and then in this body that was conceived, God took this body that was, that was conceived in, in Mary the Virgin, and he took his son, Jesus, and Jesus took up residency in that baby in her very womb. I don't know how that works. She conceives a baby and Jesus comes and takes up residency in that baby. And I don't know how it all works. It's beyond all of our pay grade. In 1 Timothy, uh, here's how Paul says it. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh. This was a mystery. This is beyond our human comprehension. Other than a baby was conceived in a virgin with no sin nature and Jesus was in that baby. And he was God, worked out in the flesh. And what does that mean for you and me? Well, the reality is today, in my relationship with Christ, I am God worked out in the flesh. Because God indwells me, and so it's just the way it works. God worked out. Working out my salvation is Christ lived out in me. Christ indwells me. And, and you, again, you want to transform your relationships? Just throw a little more Jesus into your relationships. Just treat the people around you a little more like Christ. Know that you have a humble heart. The reality is, for me to work out my salvation is for me to work God out of my life. And when I am humbly obedient, I unleash and I unlock all that Christ is. And again, we said earlier, we don't simply need behavior modification. We need what? We need Christ. What we're talking about here, this, this humility here. Think about, think about this humility. This is the very life of God. This is the very reality of Christ. Just think about that. The most authentic, the most, the most authentic humility, the most genuine humility to ever exist comes from the King of Kings comes from God Almighty above. The most humble person to ever live was the greatest to ever uh, live. Isn't that just amazing? The reality is, humility divorced from the life of Christ, humility that is not rooted in the Holy Spirit will always have limits. Any humility that comes from the flesh will always be, at least to some degree, a little self-serving. The New York Times article asks this question, when did humility get so van? So being glorious. An article in the New York Times observes, humility is not what it used to be. As a matter of fact, it may be the exact opposite of what it used to mean. Lately, it's pro forma, possibly even mandatory for politicians, athletes, celebrities, and other public figures to be vocally and vigorously humbled by every honor awarded. Prize won, job offered, record broken, pound lost, shout out received. Like copped and thumbed up. 
Driving at random into the internet and social media finds this new humility everywhere. A soap opera actress on tour is humbled by the outpouring of love from fans. Comedians are humbled by big laughs. Yoga practitioners are humbled by achieving difficult poses. Athletes are humbled by good days on the field. And Christmas volunteers are humbled by their own generosity and human spirit. And yet none of these people sound very humbled at all. On contrary, they all seem exceedingly proud of themselves, hashtagging their humility humility to advertise their own status, success, sprightliness, generosity, moral superiority, and luck. When did humility get so cocky and vain glorious? Well, if it's anywhere rooted in the flesh, there's going to be a hint of that. But the humility that comes from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the Creator of everything, from God Almighty, that is a humility. Man, it'll, it'll rock your relationships. And that's the humility that God has poured into your heart. In fact, that's the kind of humility, catch this, that's the kind of humility, that genuine humility comes from the King of Kings. I, I missed that, sorry. But here's about that humility, well, humility. That humility can carry you all the way to the cross. That's how powerful that humility is. That humility can take you all the way to the cross, nail you on a cross, for the sake of the body. It is capable of producing and nurturing incredible relationships. First one, so we, we live out, we work out our salvation. Philippians 2, verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted, excuse me, generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. We work out our salvation, then we shine out our light. We shine out our light. The simple fact is our obedience, our humble obedience, will be a life of contrast. It's just that simple. It will be a life of contrast. Just as the light of the world was consumed in darkness, what a great contrast. And that was the byproduct of his humble obedience when the light of the world was consumed in darkness. Note in the text here, it gives us a couple of contrasts, the blameless and the innocent versus the twisted and the crooked. And when we, when we live out of our new creation heart, when we, we put on our new creation clothes, that's an, amazing, that's an amazing contrast in this world. And I'll just say the greatest contrast probably, one of the greatest contrasts of all is simply this issue of humility versus selfish ambition. I mean, you want to talk about genuine humility. It, that will be incredibly, incredibly a contrast in the world today. We talked last week about our, our ability. We tend to wear these masks, right? So people don't see the real us. So, so we can hide what's going on in our life. We said three things last week. We need to let people know it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be strong. And it's okay to not be perfect. Well, let me identify those for you in, in three other ways, okay? How about this? Um, humility is being willing to shine the light through your brokenness. It's okay to not be okay. And through your weakness, it's okay to not be strong. And through your sinfulness, it's okay to not be perfect. Humility is, is being willing to shine the light through your brokenness, your weakness, and your sinfulness. Take off that mask. Don't be ashamed, as we said last week, unashamedly me. 
2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul writes this, For God who said, Let the light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Verse 7, But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Christ right here is our treasure to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Uh, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but, but not, uh, not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken struck down but not destroyed always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh so death is at work in us but life in you. Here's the thing, when we shine as lights in this world, that does not mean that our lives are, are whole and strong and perfect. We're broken. We're weak. We're sinful. We let, the, we let the light of God shine out of us in great humility. And the, the brokenness shows God's glory. The weakness shows God's strength. And the sinfulness shows God's grace. And in regards to that last one, it's not a cavalier attitude like, well, I've got God's grace, I'll just sin, and you can all see how much grace there. No, it's not that attitude. It's just an honest appreciation that I don't have to be perfect. And when I drop the ball, there's grace. And I'll give you grace as much as God gives me grace, and we won't be hypocrites. Wow. You see, we're hardwired in our brain to hide all of that, and yet we need to allow God to use all of that for His glory. Humble-hearted people, let those around them know it's okay to not be okay. So we work out our salvation, we shine out our light, and here's the third, Philippians chapter 2, verse 17. If I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you you also should be glad and rejoice with me. We pour out our life. Humble-hearted obedience will just, will just pour out our life for the body, for others, for the people around me, for the relationships around me. I will pour my life out in service. Because my life is not about me, it's about Him, it's about the body, it's about my humble obedience, it's about God's will. And this gives us really the concept that is so often misunderstood. It's the concept that we are filled to be empty. What does it mean to be filled to be emptied? Let me show you that this morning as we wrap up here. I'm gonna, this is our last point, and I'm going to show you a really cool verse in a minute. We are filled to be emptied, Ephesians chapter 5, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but, by contrast, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So be filled with the Spirit. And this verse, I think, trips a lot of people up because that concept, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? What does that really mean to be filled with the Spirit? We say that we have the fullness of God in me already, that I'm not going to get any more of God or any more of Jesus. I got all of God I'm ever going to get. He's right here. So what does it mean then to be filled? And I think sometimes we don't quite understand this or picture this right. I've illustrated this, this idea of being filled before to abundance. I've used it where I took a pitcher and poured water into a glass till it just overflowed and said God fills us up abundantly. And that's all true. But that, that illustration really is lacking. And how about if you understood filling like this? How about, how about if you understood it like um, 
Wayne was filled with rage. Or Mary was filled with pride. And you see, there's, there's this sense that there's this filling sometimes that actually comes from inside of us. And that's a different concept than we probably think about. But that's the reality. You see, after we are saved, we are filled internally, not externally. That's the reality. God is in here. The fullness of God is in here. I'm not getting any more of God. My humble obedience unleashes and unlocks the fullness of God. When I pour myself out in humble obedience, I'm just pouring the fullness of God out and he keeps filling me up from within. We do not need any more worship songs asking God to come down and fall on us. We don't need to pray any more prayers asking God to fill us. We have the fullness of God in us already right now where we stand. And there are a lot of songs like that. I hear some really cool songs and then I'll, they get into this verse and I'm just like, no, we don't want to sing that. That's not a true reality. I love Romans chapter 5. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So he poured his love through the Holy Spirit into our lives. We got the full measure of God's love. We got the full measure of God's spirit. We got the full reality of the life of Christ indwelling me. The fullness of God is here and I am filled internally and not externally. So let's end today in John chapter 7. And so earlier Jesus was talking to those religious leaders and telling them, you don't need behavior modification. You need a new heart because out of the heart comes all this wickedness and all this evilness and all this sinfulness. There's another occasion Jesus is talking. It's in John 7. It's the Feast of Booths and Jesus is, 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 is here on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. But we know after the cross that God poured out his Spirit and he poured it into people. And when we're saved, we are baptized into the Holy Spirit and we get the fullness of God in me. And it's a river of living water, the, the, the image of a river that just never runs dry. And so when we're filled with the Spirit, we're not filled externally. We're filled internally. We're filled up with hope and joy and peace and love and grace and humility. That's the reality. What we learned today, our new creation hearts are humble hearts capable of producing and nurturing incredible relationships. You want to radically transform any relationship in your life, pour a little more Jesus into your relationship. We learned that we need to think like Christ and that entails sometimes thinking like a body and not like an individual. And we also learned that we need to trust our obedient heart, that we have an obedient heart, we can trust it, we want what God wants. We do that by living out our salvation we do that by shining out our light and we do that by pouring out our life. And we sang that today, the last song we sang this morning. Oh, Lord, we just pour out our, our life. And we sang those very words and I'm like, wow, Lord, that's the message today. That we are filled internally to pour out our life for those that are around us. I would just, a couple of questions here, I would just really ask you to focus on this week and to think about these questions this week. 
But, but really the idea here, and um, I'm not even sure where I, I put them over here. Um, identify at least one relationship that you wish was more healthy. What is one act of humble obedience I can initiate to help that relationship today? How can I pour more of Jesus into that relationship? And which aspect of an obedient heart was the most compelling to me today? The working out, the shining out, the pouring out. Two ways you can look at this message and you can just kind of meditate on it. And the reality is God will radically transform your relationship. You know, the Bible is about two relationships. It's all about our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. That's what the Bible is all about. And uh, we have the heart. We have everything we need to have amazing relationships with both God and with both the people around us. I remember one time, I'll share this, Benjamin Franklin was, back in his day, there was a really, kind of with a very renowned person. We wouldn't know him. But he was real renowned in that day. And Benjamin Franklin was going down some stairs at this person's home. And this renowned person yelled out to Benjamin Franklin, Stoop, stoop! Well, Benjamin Franklin, you know, didn't catch him in time and clanked his head on this big bar there. And this very renowned person said to Benjamin Franklin, Ah, you're young, you'll get over it. But he said, I'll tell you, as you go through life, stoop often and you'll avoid uh, hitting your head on some really troubling things. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much. Thank you so much that you've given us humble hearts. And that is so contrary to probably what we've been told for years. We just, we don't have a proper image of who we are in Christ, who we are in you. And you just read through the New Testament all the descriptions of our heart. It's just incredible. So Lord, help us to trust our heart. Help us to talk to our hardwired brain sometimes and and tell our Tell our brain, no, that's not the way this is going to go. Because I, I want the fullness of God to be poured out of my life. I, I want some, some incredible relationships, healthy and, and, and powerful relationships. And I know that if I throw a little more Jesus into those relationships, they'll be amazing. They will be amazing. Thank you, God, for this day. Bless everyone as they go home. And we'll give you all the honor and glory. And everyone said, amen. Amen.